Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. Hi, I'm Tia. The upstairs-downstairs neighbor dynamic is so special. We have our own language. Like when I scream at my mom on the phone, the people downstairs bang on the ceiling to show their support. The nighttime's the best time to rearrange furniture. I call it midnight feng shui. And if I sleep through my alarm in the morning, they bang on my door to wake me. So thoughtful. Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. HD Smartcast. You are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Got it. That that sounds really, uh, really, really futuristic in one way, but I don't think that's you know what we are seeing just yet. And what you're saying is essentially that we're getting there, essentially, right? So, uh, Kamal, if uh, Mr. Singhani, if you would like to add to this, because uh, Watson, of course, has been all pervasive in some ways. Yes, you're right. So, uh, IBM has uh, kind of a mastered uh, via via Watson solutions, uh, anything to, and everything to do with AI. Uh, I, I'll probably say that the AI is there, and then there are use cases, there are business processes where AI is making a very significant impact on the way the business is run and the efficiency that it is bringing in. But before I go into the AI, let me just talk about automation and the digital automation and the way this entire automation is uh, moving out. So on one end, extreme end of our work uh, of the automation is where you have high volume and uh, you have something which is very repetitive. And that is what we earlier used to call as uh, virtual workforce, the bots and the automations, uh, which we have done through RPAs and all that was primarily taking care of that one extreme end, which is high volume and uh, repetitive work. More and more uh, usage of technologies and automation is now moving and shifting towards the left, which is uh, unique work and a low volume. And when you have to get yourself embedded to this kind of a work, uh, some of the examples that you spoke of, uh, healthcare. Uh, now, this healthcare is a unique work. You cannot provide same solution or the same healthcare medicine to everybody. So it's, it's a unique solution. Uh, it might be high volume in some cases. But what happens in such situations is you need to embed technologies along with the human. And the workforce that is going to be, we call it as a digital workforce. It is where the automation, the bots, and the digital and the AI solutions coexist with humans. And then that is where humans adapt a decision-making process or they are kind of uh, supported by the decision-making from uh, the AI or intelligent solutions. And then takes it towards what I'm just trying to say we are experiencing with many of our clients in the country. Uh, AI is getting embedded a lot in the front end as well as at the back end processes. Uh, just to take an example, and I've spoken in some other forums as well, uh, there are clients of ours who have taken the Watson solutions and, and they have embedded it in the claims management process, let's say in the insurance sector. Uh, the entire car damage analytics, which is now possible, uh, where you can just simply click a picture of your damaged car in case you, uh, God forbid, go to have an accident and upload it through your app, and, and then at the back end, uh, the entire AI-led uh, decision-making takes over. And then it has the details of various models of the car. From the history, it has been curated to understand what cost does it take for a typical kind of a damage, and compare that your picture with other pictures, and then very quickly come back to a very near-accurate near uh, assessment of the damage. Now, that is something which is currently happening in the country. Just taking one example, there are many such examples which are uh, which are happening out there, which are bringing AI much, much more closer to our day-to-day workforce. And, and that is where the automation is moving from very repetitive 
job uh, taken virtual workforce to a digital workplace now humans do or uh, let's say the assistants uh, do exist uh, coexist with uh, these ai solutions because not all solutions can be and all cases can be solved but now you are taking the job profiles a notch higher the people who were earlier working on standard solutions or going through these mundane uh, claims processing is now only looking at very unique cases so low volume unique cases uh, with a uh, uh, assisted by ai where ai gives you the level of confidence is what our watson solutions are all about and and that is where you go ahead and take much more smarter and a better decisions so these things are getting far more pervasive in our day to day business operations it's only that some enterprises have marched ahead of the time others are realizing in this pandemic uh, if if they can start adapting those technologies and those solutions probably they they would catch up but those who have already adapted who have already invested in that they will be marching ahead of the rest interesting yeah i'm going to quickly go to mr krishnan and uh, ms gupta i'll come to you after that because i want to tweak the question a little bit when i put it to you sure sure prasad so prasad i think uh, extremely well articulated point by both prakash and kamal um so i'll i'll talk about two uh, concepts here one is ai in its sense of which is the esoteric sense of trying to solve really complex world problems right let's say one of the areas uh, which i don't think we have done too well is some, something around predicting what model or how the uh, disease is going to be uh, you know coming up in the future right so we have had multiple models almost everything has failed so that's one side of uh, where you could use technology uh, to predict how the disease spread is going to be on the other side of you know using ais around really more applying it into your day to day processes it's something as simple as in a sales guy's process can i give him the intelligence to tell him what should be his next best engagement with his prospective customer something as simple as that you call i call that as an applied ai which is embedded into your day to day systems it is embedded into your day to day actions so that to prakash's point that zero to one continuum uh, of a computer you bridge that with the human uh, element uh, and you provide that continuum with additional data so that the human intellect thereafter takes better decisions right so fundamentally things around next best action right so what should be the next uh, in a call center a call, customer calls in here is a discussion uh, he's having on uh, a service request i have his entire history that's the right time to probably tell him you know what here is the here is the wonderful upsell of a product why that if it goes with it solves the problem in a much more elegant better way right it could have been start it could have started as a simple how to question could lead to by virtue of you embedding intelligence into the process could lead to an additional revenue or a growth opportunity right so fundamentally you there are two continuums here you want to use ai to solve really complex Uh, problems because that's the power of the technology computing has become uh, you know i'm actually waiting for the day when quantum computing comes in and it really changes the game out there right and then you, you then we are talking about disease prediction you know uh, better better radiology stability to be, in order to better predict uh, a cancer or uh, or a disease and prevent pandemics from happening much ahead of the situation that we are in today right so that's one one aspect of it other one is leveraging this technology in everyday processes and that's where you want to look at technologies applications that come embedded with it right so at salesforce we embed what we call you know watson's uh, smarter brother we call it einstein so so uh, so einstein is embedded into our processes it's something that uh, goes into everyday life 
of all the personas that we cover, be it the seller, be it the marketer, be it the customer service personnel, right, or be it the uh, chief of revenue, uh, the, uh, the, com- the e-commerce person, you want to embed intelligence across these processes so that it enhances either a revenue opportunity or a service opportunity. End of the day, provide better customer experience, which leads to better growth and better success for your company. In fact, this is something somebody told me recently that we needed a pandemic to train the AI on pandemics. Exactly. When I put this question to you, uh, India, when you know the startups that are creating here, we also think mobile first. All of these startups, we are going after the next billion. We are creating for devices that are very, let's say, low end and everything. So this the same question, but how do you think, how do you see it being approached here? Sure. No, I think it's a it's a great way, and I think the panelists have really shared great perspectives. I just want to reiterate a couple of points first. One, I think uh, fully agree with everybody saying AI is about augmentation. It is not about replacing humans. So it will augment what the humans are doing and be a great productivity innovation tool to enable a lot of what we want to do. I think the second important imperative uh, is clearly about the fact that today AI has worked well in a clearly defined process, right? So if it's a point solution or a very defined use case, uh, it's worked very well. But I think when you think about implementation of AI at scale, especially in India, I, I really would not be able to come up with any great examples because like Prakash said, it's it's the start of a journey and I think it'll take us a while to get there. You know, there are over 400 plus AI startups in the country. And as we track them, they're building out a varied area of solutions, whether it's about, uh, you know, field management, whether it's about agri-tech, whether it's in the healthcare space, whether it's about cancer diagnostics that, uh, you know, the previous panelists spoke about. So clearly they are uh, in a wide area of areas already. Uh, and they are building for Bharat, they are building low-cost resource setting solutions and, you know, how they can scale for the next billion. But I think a couple of uh, challenges that, that, you know, we have to deal with as a country is the access and availability of data, uh, especially if you look at sectors like agriculture, healthcare, education, um, unlike the banking and the BFSI sector where there was more digitization and hence access to data was much, much better. I think these sectors lack uh, data that, that you can build and perfect your models on. So one of NASCOM's key recommendations to the government has always been about think of data as a strategic asset. And this is data that is anonymized. This is data that will not be personally identifiable. This is data that is from public services as opposed to anything that companies are creating. But I think if we could find a good data infrastructure as part of our digital India vision, and you'll see a lot more innovation happening at scale for us to be able to train our AI engines, for us to be able to produce more innovative solutions. So, I mean, like the pandemic, we've talked about how all the modeling is face, uh, face, uh, failing. I think a simple thing we did was create a task force of a few companies. Intel was leading that and a few other, all the leading companies gave in their resources. And we did not try predicting what is happening, but really looked at all the data sources and provided it as a listening tool saying, okay, if cases are increasing, these many hospital beds you need, this is the amount of PPE you need, this is the kind of, uh, you know, this is the kind of district which are more hotspots. So it can it can work with better quality data, but I would say that um, 
you know, stop thinking of data as soil, uh, as oil. I'd really say think of data like water. It needs to be clean and accessible. Okay. Very valid. Uh, let me let me come to come back to the automation question. You've already answered this uh, to some extent, uh, Sangeeta. You've said that uh, technology is not going to replace human beings. Uh, uh, I agree, uh, largely yes. Uh, in some, I'll give you an example of uh, our own industry, the media industry. In some newsrooms of the world, uh, robots uh, are, the AI is already writing news stories. You know, if you go to sports, uh, if you if you look at market stories, some of it is already being generated by by by, by programs, by algos. Do you see? You know, the question that a lot of people are asking uh, once we emerge from the crisis: Do you see uh, the recovery to some extent uh, uh, jobless in the sense that people who were employed, gainfully employed before the before the pandemic? may not come back to doing the same jobs. Maybe they have to move up the value chain to some extent because some of their roles would have been replaced by technology. Do you see that happening? I'll start with Sangeeta and then I'll go to others as well. No, I think it's a great question. Uh, I, I think there will be an impact on jobs as we come back from the crisis. Uh, I don't think all of that will be driven by technology. A lot of that will be driven by other factors of complete uh, irreversible shifts that are taking place in some of the most impacted sectors. Um, I think we firmly believe technology will always end up creating more jobs. Yes, some of the more repetitive, lower-end jobs that have now been automated or enabled, it will actually uh, you know, enable people to move up the value chain and add value to those jobs. Uh, I think the new blended work model where you're working from home and working from office will also create an opportunity for a lot of people who otherwise could not work, you know, whether it's women or people in tier two, tier three cities, but had the right skills or could have upskilled themselves. I think in some ways, this crisis can actually accelerate job creation for sectors that were earlier not part of the formal workforce. So I would continue to believe that job creation uh, will will continue to be enabled through technology and automation. Yes, skill sets will change and Every company, governments, individuals have to invest in upskilling themselves. Each one of us have a responsibility to do that. It can't. Uh, it can't be that it won't happen. No, I agree. Uh, let me go to Mr. Singhani and then to the other panelists. Yeah, I would. I would hundred percent agree with Sagita here that uh, the impact of pandemic uh, and the job impact it would have would have much more for the other factors and because of other factors other than the technology or for that matter automation and AI. I guess uh, those factors are going to impact the business models and the way the businesses are run. But automation AI probably, because of the technology, it would change the nature of the job rather than taking the job away. It will change the nature of the job. And uh, and, and then the million-dollar question for most of the organization is, is my workforce ready for that? And then the question here is, what is your workplace going to look like? Then you need to look at what your workforce is going to do then. So if your workplace is going to be... Uh, uh, Embedded with automations and artificial intelligence, or for that matter, be far more uh, human and technology collaborated one. And, and then your uh, business processes would be far more efficient. I guess then you would definitely need to repurpose, reskill, as well as retrain your staff to adapt to that uh, digital as well as uh, a new uh, high end skills which they would need. So, until unless you understand your workplace, uh, you would not be able to predict what kind of a workforce you will have. And then that is the way out. To, to kind of a, uh, have a positive impact of this uh, AI or automation impact on your workplace uh, and, and, and change the way the uh, uh, people work and what they work on. 
Right. Uh, Mr. Malia, you want to also want to answer that? I mean, how is this is going to impact our livelihood? You know, technology is going to take away our jobs. We need to upskill. What do we need to do now? I will start with answering that question by referring to a study that I read. Fortune did run an article where they talked about, they evaluated past crisis. And data out of the past crisis suggested that only 9% of the companies that were leading their industry before the crisis showed up as leaders after the crisis. Only 9%. And majority of them either lost the lead or they were laggards at the end of the crisis. So the first one to really think about is this is the time for disruption. And if you are really doubting that, you have to see some of the shape of the industries and how it is real-time getting reshaped, whether it's digital media, entertainment, cloud service providers, technology overall, uh, healthcare. Every segment is disrupting. And the pace of this change is not only because of COVID. I think COVID crunched the trends into very short order, but these trends will even accelerate past COVID. So the first thing is you are living in an age where the time is going to be really going very fast. The pace of change would accelerate. The first response to that would be as businesses and as employees, one has to adopt a mindset of continuously evolving, continuously adapting, continuously learning new things, because that would be the only determinant for success in future. Keeping an open mind, your ability to learn new things really fast would determine your success or failure in future as a company, as a culture, and as an employee, or as a community in general, or as a country for that matter. And that translates back to answering your question, whether automation will take away our jobs. I would stand by what I mentioned in the past, which was Automation will play a role in complementing what human beings do. But that does not mean that human beings will continue or should continue doing at a skill level that they already have. Because when automation increases, the skill level and the capability level for human beings to be able to play the complementary role will also get stepped up. The demand for skills to be able to exercise judgment, exercise creativity, ingenuity, arts, literature, different industries combined with automation would be the magic of the future. And really, constant reskilling, constantly disrupting yourself would be the only way forward, in my opinion. No, I think uh, everybody, just going back in history, everybody remembers how bank unions went on strike when there was this talk of uh, you know making computerization or bank branches. You know, they all went on strike. Right. Now, now, you cannot imagine branches without you know, computers. Let me go to let me go to Mr. Krishnan. Uh, you know, same question. Uh, what do you think? So let me let me give you uh, I'll give you two perspectives here. One was around uh, what I'm seeing in the context of speaking to one of the CEOs of FMCG companies. Uh, the pandemic has also given them an opportunity to become more efficient. You know, they were running something like about three thousand SKUs at one point in time. During the pandemic, they focused on three hundred. Is he going to go back to three thousand? The answer is no. He said, no, this is a new baseline. He has removed a lot of it. And that becomes a new baseline from where he's starting, right? So so that 
Will that create more joblessness? I don't think so. What it is doing is that they are, it, while it has saved some money, while it has given them additional focus, it has given him, given him a new opportunity to focus on a completely new set of product segments that are emerging through this crisis, right? So that's the that's one way of looking at, the, you know, when you save something somewhere, you have the opportunity to innovate in another area, right? Uh, the second aspect is, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of one of our customers. Uh, this is LNT Reality, right? Uh, Definitely an industry that's going through an extremely tough phase, a customer of ours. Uh, during the pandemic, you know, what they did was they actually got their employees to start leveraging. We have a, uh, a training tool, a learning tool called uh, Trailhead. So all their employees, all the field force were put on that platform and to learn how they could use and leverage the Salesforce technology that they'd already invested in. To a point, as a company, they logged in something like about two lakh plus points. Uh, you know, there was an internal competition during the lockdown, when, especially the hard phase of the lockdown. They really used that opportunity and the availability of a platform to re recalibrate how their sellers would operate as they were coming out. Right. So, so that was that was one uh, thing that we saw. Another very unique trend, you know, we all noticed during the last few, especially few months, especially in the context of schools, right? Schools devising new apps just to track attendance of students or hospitals coming out with new apps to, you know, find, uh, handling some of the new COVID processes that they need to do in the hospitals. We are starting to see a new trend around low-code app development, and I'll, and I'll come to this aspect in a sense that this low-code app development, which it's been existing for a long time, right? This is, it's not for that it, this technology didn't exist. But what this crisis has done is that it has started, you know, and as companies are more like going for more digitization, they've realized that they need to have some form of developer capability within their business users because they can't really wait for their IT systems to come in or a developer company to come and solve their problems. They have an idea, needs to be done today and needs to be out in the, uh, in the field tomorrow, right? So you're starting to see, a new, we are starting to see a new trend around low-code app development, which, by the way, existed as I said. But it, the pandemic has brought that into the focus. All of a sudden, your teachers are coding. All of a sudden, your bank employees are coding. Right? Think about it this way: the beauty of low-code is that it turns all the business people into citizen developers, expands the capability of the entire you know, uh, IT uh, force, which is already digital in the new world, right? So so that's that's something that we are seeing. Automation in some sense, but at the same time, reskilling and putting that new opportunity in a new skill in a workforce, which enables new innovation, faster business processes, more agility. Well, I agree. Completely. Opportunity is, I think, the answer. I mean, that explains why so many TikTok clones have, have, have appeared overnight, you know, uh, soon yes, after the pandemic. Absolutely. I really wanted to ask a question. In in uh, just uh, sticking with Mr. Krishnan, like you said, you know, low-code app development is something that has existed for a while. This whole, the acceleration and automation is going to help the industry itself grow much faster. And I'm not talking just from a, you know, business point of view, just from a tech point of view, everything grows faster, right? Could you outline that, Absolutely. how that is happening through this right now? No, so, so like clearly said, right, uh, low-code app development, uh, always existed, right? And fundamentally, the Salesforce platform is one of that, right? The Force.com platform is the Lightning platform, is a low-code app development platform. What it does is that it brings extensibility of applications in the context of business at a much rapid pace, 
right? So which what that again does is it brings MVPs to life much faster, right? It brings greater ability to react to a situation, right? And that's that's what is needed in these times. Have we seen the tomorrow in this pandemic? Have we have you seen the the end gate on this? Obviously not. Be it economic, uh, be it uh, the disease, or be it how we will operate. We won't. We, I don't think it's we. If anyone, the you know, the matter is out there, right? So we will have to wait for this to emerge. Companies will need to be constantly relooking at everything that they are doing today, and yes. Uh, so, so these are these are aspects that companies can then start looking at. How do I make my workforce more able to operate, more able to be more agile at the same time and react and change faster? Do I do I operate on a platform that allows that? Uh, you know, my organization to change at a faster pace. Right. Yeah. We are almost. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Prasid. Uh, you wanted to ask. Sorry. Uh, I, I was. Just, I was just moving to Mr. Malia. I was going to ask right. him. You know yeah. what he sees in this frame. Prasid, what what specifically would you, if you can elaborate a little more? So what I was asking is, you know, the fact that so much new use cases, so many new use cases are coming up for automation. That will help the industry itself to create new solutions. Uh, you know, just just do a faster R and D and everything. So, are you seeing examples of that already? Like overnight innovations. I I feel the the level of automation in general can definitely go up in India, and there are a couple of examples where it has started to pick up and has seen massive impact. Digital payments is a great place where you saw government putting in the rails, whether it is digital IDs, whether it is UPI as a transaction engine, and then you had innovators and startups innovating. So you have seen that rocket in COVID. But if you look at in totality, the cash transactions versus the digital payments is still digital payments is very small proportion. So I see that as a great example of automation really going very, very fast due to pandemic. And I see that accelerate and create more efficiency longer term in the country. The other example would be e-commerce. Just think about it. If e-commerce and the engines of delivery did not exist all over the country during lockdown, it would have been way worse in terms of supply of essentials for to all parts of the country. So that is yet another case where automation has helped citizens in a really material way. And I see opportunities like that only go up in future simply because you have a situation like this crisis and all countries, including India, I feel will index towards building resilience rather than building efficiency. And what that resilience would mean is you would have buildup of local supply chains, local innovation, local ecosystem. And that would also include when you have innovators combining automation with real world issues, real world challenges, you can have very interesting solutions to almost every vertical, retail, healthcare, logistics, to transportation, Almost every vertical can get disrupted in the country because the level of automation is not very high. Right. So risk mitigation is uh, likely to be the key driver uh, over all these decisions. Correct. Correct. I have time for just one final question. Uh, you know, we are almost out of time. This is a question, philosophical question, which I keep asking myself. 
is technology going to finally liberate us or is it going to tear us down for workplaces further? You know, I'll go to all of you. Please answer. Uh, you know, I, we're almost out of time. I'll start with Mr. Krishnan and then I'll go to everybody else. I think liberation will always remain a personal feeling. <laughs> I think technology will enable, uh, you know, that access to information, uh, which will provide more liberty, you know, more liberty to people in their choices, in their decision making, right, in that sense. Yeah. So I don't think you can miss technology uh, in this new world, uh, irrespective of whether it is on the business side or the societal side. Right? Uh, maybe I'll, you know, uh, Debushi, I just wanted to take this opportunity to uh, leave uh, five questions to people in the context of as we are seeing a lot of information, a lot of aspects around technology, a lot of new emerging scenarios for people to think about, right? Uh, in, in the context of how they're reacting to the businesses, how they're reacting to the situation. Uh, number one is what I would want us was ask people is to think about which of your previous expectations you need to rethink. Right. So that's a question that I would want people to ask ask themselves. Which of your previous expectations do you need to rethink? Which of your consumers uh, are valuing things in what different way? Right. Consumers are starting to value things differently. So start asking those questions in your business. What might your consumers value differently in this new world? Right. So. Think of, think of that as a point. Third one, what are the biggest threats to your current business in this world? Right? Uh, ask that question, you will find a certain set of answers in your decision-making framework. Fourth, what new providers, models, or business models are better positioned today? Right? And that's the point where you can learn from. Right? Who, which are the companies, which are the business models that are better positioned in these times? That can help you take a decision how we want to react to this. And then last is, is the aspect of building capabilities, building assets, building relationships in this new world. You have to start thinking about these, these framework. If people can ask these five questions in how they are operating, I'm sure you will find an answer to that. Will it be technology underneath it? I don't know, right? Some of them could be something as simple as behavioral. But will technology enable that? I would say yes, technology can enable many of these aspects. Right. No, we'll rush through the answers. Mr. Malia, your answer. I would say technology is super important. Technology is more important now than ever. But I wouldn't say it can solve everything because purpose is very important in my opinion. Because with purpose, you can really come together and collaborate across the industry to solve real challenges. How do we make, how, or how do we use technology to make it more responsible in terms of usage or create more uh, responsible use cases? How do we leverage technology to make the industry or world more inclusive, as an example? How do we make the world more sustainable, combined, as an industry. So all of those challenges also become relevant and you can never take the human out of the equation. So we are all working from home here, but I would never say that work from home is the only mode because social connect and we are social beings. And without that social connection, I do not think as a society, we will progress further. So it's a combination that would technology along with great humanity. Mr. Singhani. Well, I would say in short term, uh, technology would play a huge impact and a huge role for the uh, for the corporations and for the enterprises to come out of this crisis post-pandemic. If you are not leveraging technology to its best and embedding the technology into your processes and trying to 
uh, understand your consumer more that how do they would adapt to your uh, usage of technology, uh, you will have a crisis in your hand. So in the short term, leverage technologies as much as you can. Uh, get your organization into an efficient organization. Do the cost takeouts using technologies. There would be time for you to go beyond technologies and do things beyond technology short term. Get it, get onboarded on the technology. Thank you. Yeah, so I think in the lockdown, if technology did not exist, we would have been in a real yeah. um, complete lockdown as a country, right? So I think technology has been the savior for India in this or across the world, right? Today, whether it's virtual collaboration, meetings, our family get-togethers, everything's happening with technology. But I think totally agree with Prakash's points, right? Technology is not a means to an end. Technology is an enabler. It's a foundation. It has to be looked at in conjunction with everything around you, whether it's, uh, you know, the objectives that you stand for, the values of the organization, the mission that you want to accomplish, and, of course, expertise of domain, right? So I, I really think that technology is a, is a great enabler. It's a force multiplier. And I think we have to use it for, for making all of those objectives for, for our businesses, for our country at large. No, that's, that's the important word, the force multiplier. This uh, discussion can go on forever, but uh, we are almost, uh, we are all, we are actually over time. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Look forward to having all of you soon again in one of our panel discussions. Thank you so much. Thank, thanks so much from me and, and thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, uh, Prasheed thanks and to everyone. Thanks to, uh, thanks to both of you and thanks to all my panelists. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. This was a LiveMint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. The thing about comparing rates at Progressive.com is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about comparing rates at Progressive.com. We probably don't even need the words comparing rates anymore to remind you that seasoning steaks at Progressive.com is an easy way to save on car insurance. Or that swimming in trousers helps you find the lowest rate. And that's the thing about foraging for truffles. You've heard a lot of ads about standing tiptoe on a cinder block. Compare rates and <clears throat> sing softly to a wounded field mouse and save at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations.